Hello there. Hello there. Welcome to a podcast about Star Wars Shatterpoint and the Star Wars universe. My name is Jesse Aiken and I'm joined by my co-host, Aman Kusro. How are we doing today, Aman? We are doing well. We are excited. We're excited to party. Or the party's over. No, no, no. The party is just beginning, but... That's that's right. Mace Windu isn't going to come and crash our party. You know, this party's over. That's what all the Genosans said. Because they all fly away. They were having a grand old time watching their gladiatorial combat. Got stopped. Mace Windu is like that dude. You know when you're in high school and you're having a party with your friends? Uh-huh. You guys are all drinking. And then like Mace Windu is like the neighbor who complains and shows up and is like, if you don't keep the noise down, I'm calling the cops. That's Mace Windu. This is a deep cut, Amon. That might have been me doing that. You never know. Were you that guy? No, not at all. I was the DD. I never drank in high school or anything. I was the DD for everybody else. Oh, responsible. I like that. Yeah. It all tracks with this narrative, right? Yeah. So I actually grew up in a family that didn't drink, right? So. Oh, sure. Yeah. It was just really interesting because the moment they would go out of town, my friends were like, yo, dude, we should just like have a small get together at your house. And Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, sure. You know, because people pleasing my friends and everything. And next thing you know, there's like 50 people in your house and you're drinking beer for the first time. You're like, why do people drink this? This tastes like crap. But now I really like it. So here we are. This has been the Candid Cantina. No, I've had a lot of experiences like that, but you know, my background in music, I'm on and playing really loud rock music for many, many years, been shut down many times, you know, whether it's band practice all the way to a full on show at someone's house. And then, you know, the authorities arrive and say, where's the master volume? And you're like, that's not how this works. Like all the instruments have their own volumes, you know, they're like, where's the master volume? So, you know, this has been a Candid Cantina moment. That's right. If you're interested in what our Candid Cantinas sound like, it's a combination of this kind of conversation. Meets our nerd lore. Yeah. Well, I think like on the last one, actually, you know, the last one, we just did a lot of Star Wars Shatterpoint stuff, but I think yeah, we sprinkled in some Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in there as well. Some life experiences as well like this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's great. We hope you guys enjoy it. I hope you enjoy when it sneaks in the podcast and apparently... Mace Windu is that neighbor, and all the Geonosians are scattering right now. Well, it's Mace's way to show up and make a statement, Amon. But before we get into our Mace content today, we have a couple people to thank, like normal. We do have a couple people to thank. Hello There is sponsored by our patrons, and our patrons support Hello There at patreon.com slash hellotherecast. If you enjoy the show, consider supporting us and joining our Discord community. We take this time to thank all of our patrons for their support. Big shout out to Ryan for signing up at the Jedi Knight Sith Warrior tier. Thank you, Ryan. It's always nice to have new patrons jump into the Discord and get talking them on, because that is a private Discord for all of our patrons. And keep in mind, the League is in full swing, which is another patron bonus, right? And we've got a lot of fun games going right now with the Patron League. Of course, we can do the show without our producers, so we have to thank our producers right now. That's Jedi Rusty, Jedi Rich, and Bounty Hunter Brady. And of course, we do have our executive producer that we'd like to thank as well. He is the ruler of the Galactic Empire, and his name is Kevin, specifically Emperor Kevin. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much, Kevin. And man, I enjoy Kevin's company so much, Amon. I know I say it every episode, but we've been playing a lot of games lately together, but having the time of our lives. And Kevin's also been guiding a lot of people in the community 
through tutorial games and full-on competitive matches in our Discord as well. So he's been doing awesome work. So thank you so much, Kevin. Of course, Simon, we got to mention real quick. I know we've been mentioning every episode recently, so we'll do an abridged version, but we're doing a Shatterpoint core set giveaway. Anyone can enter to win. All you have to do is click this link below in our episode show notes and then follow us on our social media pages at Hello There Cast. Of course, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. More follows get you more entries. And we are going to announce that course set giveaway winner very soon. So if you're hearing this, this is like one of the later opportunities to sneak in and follow those pages because we want to get that out to you guys. Absolutely. And I'm excited to get that out. Again, make sure you click on that bit link and we recommend just bookmarking it so that whenever you want to go to the official Shatterpoint website, that can be your way to get there. Full transparency. It helps us out with getting additional preview product from Atomic Mass Games if and when they choose to send out more product. Speaking of product, Hello There is supported by two partnerships. And our first one is with Mr. Laser at mr-laser.square.site your resource for everything Shatterpoint. I personally just got my order in for Mace Windu, actually, which is very timely. And we've got a special promo with Mr. Laser. If you use the code HelloThere5, that's all lowercase, no spaces, with the number 5, you get 5% off all purchases. Mr. Laser is already heavily discounting his stuff, so that additional 5% does add up in savings. And so if you don't have a local store that you support, or you're looking to maybe support us, you know, with a per- certain purchase or two, this is a great opportunity for everyone to get some savings. Of course, I'm on. We highly recommend Mr. Laser, and I also got my Mason Talzin box recently, so I'm very excited to continue to order through Mr. Laser. Of course, we've got to give a shout out and a sponsor mention to Imperial Terrain. We've been talking about Imperial Terrain's digital STL files for a while now, and how you can get a discount from us with the code hello there five under these digital files but also when i'm on now you and i have been seeing some of these files on the table and we're we're going to get into greater detail of why we recommend these files but in particular the fractured city the forest moon and the villainy village are all ready to be shatterpoint table worthy right out the gate without any scaling and that means a lot to, to us and but on top of that you can also scale them up or down to your printer needs and we highly recommend using our code hello there five. Of course, that's all lowercase, the number five, to get five percent off of any of your digital STL files from Imperial Terrain to set up your Shatterpoint boards in your local community. Because also too, I'm on something I don't think we give enough airplay on on the show, but he also has vehicles and scatter. And a lot of us need to supplement our core set terrain. And that's a great way to do it as well. I agree. I'm a big fan of Imperial Terrain and the fact that we got those tables live and set up and we're able to play games on them. I mean, not only is it improving the immersion of Shatterpoint, right? But it also breaks up the monotony. I mean, I think AMG did an amazing job with the core set. It's so modular. You know, you have high ground, you have take cover. But if you're just looking to maybe play on a more famous location in the yeah. Star Wars universe or maybe something that just breaks up the idea of buildings and gantries, maybe you want to play, you know, on wooden gantries or with huts. Yeah, like Forest Moon, it's a great opportunity to do so. Yeah, and of course, if you're wanting to supply to your local area as well, Amon, I highly recommend Imperial Train because table variety is one of the best things you can do as an organizer. And also, 
creates a lot of engagement with your players because it's not just the same table from table to table. They have to react, move differently, position differently. It's a great thing. So not only is it offering thematic fun, but it's also offering a lot of strategic depth. So I highly recommend if you're trying to get your local scene going, get a little bit of different terrain variety going on and you're going to have a lot of fun. Agreed. Absolutely. All right, Iman, it's time to get into our main topic. That's the party's over box. And we're going to start with the primary in this box, Jedi Master Mace Windu. So this is a big episode. (laughs) This is a big day for us on the podcast to do such a prominent Jedi Master. We're going to try to give it our best shot because Mace has got a lot of history. Once again, just like our recent episodes with Grievous and stuff, a lot of canon, a lot of legends, some of it blends and blurs different ways. But today we're mainly going to focus on the canon of Windu. So let's start off with the beginning of Windu's life. He was born on the planet Haroon Kal in 72 BBY. So once again, that's that Star Wars weird time reference, which is everything's before the Battle of Yavin or after the Battle of Yavin, right? So Star Wars A New Hope, the final battle in the movie, that's kind of how you figure out where things would be. So if Mace was still alive, wink, wink, maybe around the time of New Hope and the Age of Rebellion, he'd be in his 70s. Keep that Which in mind. Which tracks for Samuel L. Jackson, by the way, because I think he's in his 70s. Absolutely looks great. So Windu's going to start out as a small child. And I've already kind of mentioned recently in our Lumi episode, the people of Harun Kal were force sensitive, fairly force sensitive people. At a very young age, Mace lost his parents and the Jedi Order found him on a planet and immediately grabbed him. Once again, we've jumped on the show a lot about the pros and cons, the negatives of Jedi just finding children in different places and, you know, other factions doing the same thing. But this is what happened with Mace. He was grabbed at a very young age because he was an orphan and had a very high force sensitivity. So from those early days as a youngling, his affinity for the force set him on a path that would lead him all the way through, I guess, ranks of the Jedi Order, right? But he had a lot of challenges along his way. A notable challenge of Mace was he did not construct his lightsaber for a long time. So the way I would describe this is if you didn't get your driver's license until like your 20s, right? This is kind of Mace's journey. He was very brilliant. He was very powerful, but there's just one element he just could not get down. And that was his saber. This also was interesting for his character arc because it set up a lot of frustrations in his growth. And he had a lot of discussions with Jedi Master Yoda, who was his initial teacher. Also, Yoda taking you on right out the gate, that says some good stuff about you as a Jedi Padawan, right? Qui-Gon has a similar story as well. And I know Yoda takes a lot of Padawans at an early age, and then he'll they'll go to another master, right? But Yoda directly mentored, trained Mace for a very long time. What's interesting is Mace is frustrated with the saber thing. He's been talking with the wise droid lightsaber instructor, Professor Hunyang, who's about to appear in the Ahsoka show, and he's not figuring out why he can't do this. And Hunyang imparts a lot of wisdom on him, telling him that it's not a weapon. It's more about your journey to get there and how you get the weapon built, right? This is a big part of a Jedi's journey is how they build their saber, their crystal, all this stuff. But we'll return to that in a bit. Mace is very serious, even at a young age, which is kind of getting back to that. He's canceling the party thing earlier. And he did not like Yoda's jokes. Mon and I were talking about this off mic, but you know, Yoda's playful style did not work with Mace that well at times. But eventually we see that they learn each other's quirks, their personality traits, and they work really well together because they're kind of two sides of a coin, right? And unfortunately, Yoda 
and this is probably part of the sad part of Yoda's story, which we'll get to later, but I mean, as more as the Clone Wars goes on, you know, Yoda loses a lot of his joy and his happiness, really, right? Yoda's in a rough spot during that whole time, the cloud of the dark side. So he's under the tutelage of Master Yoda. He's continuing to train. He's becoming a really good Jedi. He's also doing interesting things on the side. He's exploring the world of theater on Coruscant, which is awesome. And he also is still stuck in the sloop of not building his saber. So keep that in mind. He's excelling in all these areas, knowledge, force mastery, you know, all these things. He's like 10 out of 10, but he just can't do this basic element, you know? And this is pivotal to the mace we know because, spoiler alert, but we all know mace becomes quite possibly the greatest swordsman ever, right? So this is all kind of layers of his character arc. Pause. You think... Mace Windu would have beat Anakin if they fought like all out. Dark side Anakin, yeah, yeah. Well, sure, yeah. Because I guess Obi Wan beats Anakin, and you think Mace would beat Obi Wan? Yeah. Wow. But Obi Wan's different, though, right? I don't know. So that's a great question. Maybe it's an after dark discussion. <laughs> Write it down. Okay. Yeah, didn't mean to take away off too rabbit hole, but I was just really curious. Like, you know, does he take down Sky Guy? Good question. So eventually, Mace does build his saber with the help Professor Hoon Yang I was talking about. He basically tells Mace, patience, young Mace. The secret is that the pieces never need to be built. It's truly like the inner workings of the Jedi, right? Like the, in the journey I mentioned, right? And so Mace was so, this is so interesting, Amon, because this kind of like is going to frame a lot of Mace's issues later on. Mace is so by the book. He's so dogmatic. He's so duty, you know, point A to point B, all this stuff, right? And then you've got that fervor and that fire in there too, which he's always had since for a young age, right? And the saber thing took him so much later than the other Jedi younglings and Padawans, right? Which is crazy. Because think about a Padawan without a saber for a while, you know? Especially a Padawan who's mastered all this force stuff, like the telekinetic stuff. It's crazy. But they've changed the lore of this several times. So the Hunyang thing is the new lore. But in the old Legends lore, he was having visions of him wielding an amethyst blade, which is also extra frustrating to have visions of you wielding this awesome saber and you can't even build one. He eventually helps these people on a planet that are in turmoil and gets a crystal as a reward through the journeys of this, but that's no longer canon. But the point of the story now is Mace is like, his character flaws prevented him from doing that for a long time. But moving forward, we're going to see Mace and Dooku working together, right? It's something we see in the Tales show. We also see in a lot of the comics. And I find this relationship, Amon, so fascinating because, once again, who's by the book? Who's got the duty to the Jedi Council? Who's got all these things? It's Mace. Who's asking more questions? Who's like kind of looking around, you know, really digging deeper? It's Dooku. So we're kind of seeing a lot of interesting things happening with that and a lot of pushback. They're making each other better and worse all the same while. He actually ends up forming a bond and friendship with Dooku. Despite them having differing approaches, they work together quite well. Before the Clone Wars, of course, the Naboo conflict happens. Mace, he's adhering to the Jedi's traditions and their duty to the Republic. And he's kind of unwavering in a lot of these things, right? Somewhat to his downfall. I think we talk about this a lot on the show, the Jedi. But before we get into like the Clone Wars itself, he did mentor a lot of young Jedi. He mentored and trained Depa Balaba guiding her from the clutches of Pyrus to become a full-fledged Jedi Knight and eventually a Jedi Master, which is incredible. And he also mentored her Padawan, Caleb, who we know later to be Kanan, 
But at the same time, Amon, similar to Jedi Grandmaster Yoda, he mentored a lot of Jedi Knights and Padawans, right? And it's kind of the nature of when you get to the spot. Mace quickly ascended all the way up to second in command, Jedi Master, which is just nuts. So, I mean, he went from being a frustrated Padawan all the way to literally second in command of the Jedi Order. And that leads us to this Naboo conflict I talked about in the Clone Wars. We know Mace's story with Anakin. He's very against the Chosen One prophecy idea. He's very skeptical of it. Once again, he's very by the book, all this stuff. And he questions Anakin's suitability for Jedi training due to all the emotional attachments Anakin had, of course. Though he had reservations about Anakin, he did trust Obi-Wan to be Anakin's master. And once again, this starts a complex relationship that Mace and Anakin had from day one when Anakin showed up and took the tests all the way to Revenge of the Sith. I think it's really interesting how much disdain he had towards Anakin. It's kind of nuts, really. It's this thing because like, I really... And then, you know, I have this habit of trying to psychoanalyze a lot of these characters and really try to put myself in their shoes. And I wonder if it's because like Mace, like did everything by the book. He worked hard. He earned it. He didn't get any special treatment. In fact, he had difficulties early on that he had to Mm -hmm. overcome. And he believes that because he held true to the tenets and the regulations and the traditions of the Jedi Order, he was able to become second in command. And here comes this dude. Anakin, who's like too old to be a Padawan. They make him a Padawan. Now he's like super good and cool and nice hair and all that. And he's able to do all these cool things. And so his whole trajectory has kind of like a rocket ship almost where Mace Windows is probably more traditional. And so maybe that's part of the reason why he dislikes Anakin. He's like, why does this guy get special treatment when every single other Jedi, especially the Jedi that I respect, had to earn it the traditional way? Right. And so we have this yeah. great moment where he's like, you are on this council, but we do not grant you the rank of Jedi master. He's very proud of saying that. Yeah. And it's like, what? That was the straw that broke the camel's back, I think, for Anakin. <laughs> yeah. What you're saying, Amon, is very astute and very right on the nose with what's going on with Mace. But also, I think and there's another lower element of Mace on top of all that by the book. He's worked so hard. He's done all this stuff is he's got a fire in him. And it, he he sees Anakin in himself, right? And he sees himself in his younger years. You know, part of the way that him and Obi-Wan bonded early is we're talking Padawan Obi-Wan pre the Naboo conflict, right? So Obi-Wan and his like teens and stuff, they bonded so much because Obi-Wan not being as good at dueling as his other Padawans, but Obi-Wan had a tenacity and a stamina that Mace admired, right? So once again, that steadfast stamina that kind of like committing to the path like you're talking about the mace is really good at doing he saw that obi-wan he was like wow this guy's there's something going on here right and you know let qui-gon take obi-wan as a padawan learner though obi-wan was probably lower part of the crop to be honest but he saw something in that so i think once again he sees something in anakin that's in himself he sees a brashness he sees a little bit of anger you know because mace's got that anger you know we've seen it and that combo mixed with the chosen one narrative, he's like, nah, this is a bad idea. Yeah, it's very interesting because a lot of things happen because of it. Of course, Wendy plays a pivotal role in a lot of battles in the Clone Wars. He wins a lot of battles. And I'm going to tell you how he wins some of them in a minute through his fighting style. So let's talk about his powers real quick. Let's talk about the Shatterpoint Force ability. Once again, this is a Legends and Canon thing, been expanded in different ways, but Mace had a Shatterpoint ability where he could kind of like neo does where he slows down the matrix in a way see weaknesses in his opponents before they happen 
see maybe some paths of the battle that could happen in the future, right? And kind of help guide the battle that way. And so it's like this really hyper-powered foresight ability, right? Which is very cool because his Shatterpoint force ability, which was completely his own, goes hand in hand with his fighting style, which is completely his own. So Mace, once again, was very unusual. Like I said, he got a saber later in his career, but we haven't talked about after he got his saber, he quickly became one of the best, if not the best duelists in all history of the Jedi Order. And a big part of that is, you know, he was trained by a couple different masters. They taught him Form 7, Juyo, which we know Maul uses, and Form 7 of seven forms in the Force user fighting style handbooks. And Mace made his own version of Form 7 called Vipad. It's his own tweak of Form 7, which Form 7 already is not often used by Jedi at all. It's uncommon. And the few Jedi that used it, we're just kind of known for it, and that's it. And then Mace was like, no, I'm taking this lesser known, lesser used Jedi form and turn it into Vapad. So, Amon, let's talk real quick organically about Vapad. So you and I have talked about it on the show, I feel like already, probably some more on the bonus feed, but so interesting to use a more Sith style fighting style to begin with, Form 7, and then add your own layer on top of it, which is Mace is channeling the dark side a little bit to create a feedback loop of power between himself and his opponent. He's channeling the dark side, but never going to the dark side, which is absolutely fascinating. And the more powerful the dark side user he's facing with this form seven, that's a buffed up version of form seven with his own dark side attunement to it, the more powerful he can counter-strike back to them essentially. And this is in fact how he beats Sidious. It's really interesting to me because like the original form seven is known as Juyo. And so it's like labeled as this form called like the ferocity form. Mm. And this whole idea where it's like this most vicious form of lightsaber dueling or combat. And it's said to like involve so much significant focus, internal focus specifically from the user. And so the idea is that you're using your own internal emotions to gain dominance in combat. It's so interesting. He creates a variation of Juyo called, as you mentioned, Vapad. And I think maybe this is kind of why he came up with it is, you know, he had such an issue with getting his lightsaber that he maybe felt like there was like a shortcoming that he had in that particular field of the Jedi lifestyle. And so maybe he put all of his energy and thought, how can he overcome his challenges, but also make his mark on the Jedi? Maybe was that his motivation? I'm not really sure. Yeah. But it's the same combat style where it's, yeah, you're fighting somebody, but Vipad is more heavily based on your state of mind, right? So mm. you channel your inner darkness or your inner insecurities to the duel while you accept whatever fury or fighting style your opponent has. And I think that's really interesting because Windu also taught that to other members of the Jedi Order, like his Padawan Depa Balapa, Quinlan Voss used Vipad. He was an innovator. It's so cool because he was, but it's also so interesting because it's like, you're so by the book and here you are making your own little... I know. That you ferocity know, like, inside him. It's crazy. And and that's maybe why he had so much disdain for Anakin. Maybe he did have a lot of internal emotions that he did not digest correctly. And those just came out, whether it's through this fighting form or I hate you, Anakin. Fun side note, which also explains a lot. More straws on the camel's back. Come on. He refused to teach Anakin Vipad. Did Anakin ask? Yeah. 
this is one of those things where it's like legends canon right but in the star wars lore anakin was not granted access to vipad because mace saw too much darkness in him also keep in mind i think mace's attunement with the shatterpoint ability force power a lot of people have theorized and speculated and some of them even in some of the old novelizations but that mace could see certain trails of the multiverse, you know, whatever that Anakin's going down, right? He could maybe see visions of the Vader side, right? And maybe couldn't see further than that, right? When he needed to, like the redemption of Vader, right? His attunement with Shatterpoint in particular, maybe also gave him some wariness around Anakin, which is also very interesting because Mace's, it's once again, that feedback loop, that self-fulfilling prophecy that Star Wars loves about the Anakin lore, where it's like, Anakin couldn't save his mom. He couldn't save his Padawan. He couldn't save his wife. He couldn't save his children. So he does all the things to try to stop that, right? And then him doing that, he keeps the loop going and makes all those things happen, right? I think Mace might have been part of that as well. Mace is like, oh, I see darkness in this boy's future. Rather than nurturing him, he's like, no, I'm just going to be completely cold to him and give him nothing. Very interesting. But the part that's most interesting to me, Amon, is the fact that it's more powerful against the more ferocious dark side users. So basically, the higher dark side level, like someone like Asidious, just imagine it as like this huge counter spell to the dark side, right? So I don't think Vipad would be something very good against maybe Jedi Master Qui-Gon and Ataru, right? Or Obi-Wan and Suresu or Ataru, right? But against a very powerful Sith Lord in particular, not even Sith Warrior, Sith Lord, it, it just gets powered up. No, I completely agree. I, I like the idea that it preys upon the power of the opponent and channels their energy into his own i guess discipline in this form which is pretty cool yeah absolutely and we see mace fight in vipod against sidious and win though anakin thwarts that and you know we never see a body but mace does lose his hand gets force lightning and shot out a multi hundred story building so one can hope that he'll show up again one day but also wouldn't count on it you never know well Samuel Jackson has stated that he fills believes that Windu is alive and that he would be open to playing Windu. So is Filoni. Filoni says in some universes that he could still be alive. Well, if Filoni says so, and Filoni and Favreau are kind of running the show, yeah, then I don't see why not. Oh, dude, I want to see Mace with like a full beard, droid hands, holding that purple saber. You know, man. I think it would almost be more imposing if he just was like, I don't need my other hand. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he rarely uses it anyways, and his Form 7 is a lot of one-hand stuff, so very interesting character, and obviously, we're going to talk about in a bit how he worked with Commander Pons a lot and the Lightning Squadron, but also a brilliant military tactician, and I got to do a call-out while we're here, Mon, because we did the call-out on our Grievous episode, but man, Mace and the Gindy Clone War stuff. You want to see him use some Vapad. He also, Mace had found a way to, Vapad aside, he found a way to fight without a saber with the force as well literally like force punches oh that's right i forgot about that and he's Damn. just shredding b2s he's like sending his arm through b2 battle droids so there you go mace is also a monster because this is one of my favorite quotes i have dismantled and destroyed over a hundred thousand of you type one battle droids he's incredible man he's incredible but we got to talk about mace in star wars shatterpoint today so we're in a unique position i'm on with mace to cover a character that gives us the least amount of points to work with in the squad in the game thus far thus making him the most restrictive 
Yeah, in a weird way, he's the most expensive. That's what we've been saying on the show a lot. We've been talking about characters like Anakin, Dooku, and Vader thus far have been the most restrictive and the most expensive until Mace. Yeah, they're more limited in the amount of points that they're offering. And I actually never really thought they would go to six. Pretty exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. But also, like, I always thought seven was hard enough. Like, I could see them going to nine, which they did with Cat, which I'm sure all of you have seen at this point. Yeah. But six was something that was going to surprise me, but I'm really glad they did it. Initially, it doesn't offer much in the way of squad building, but I think over the course of the game and its life cycle, as we get more three cost secondaries and supporting units, we'll see the flexibility of that, which I think is pretty exciting. I don't think it'll ever be as robust as perhaps the seven pointers and the eight pointers, specifically the eight pointers, but I still think it's cool. And it does put some respect on Windu's name, right? Like he is this monster of a fighter. You just said he's arguably the most skilled swordsman of his time. Mm-hmm. He's very good with the force. He's using force punches and some non-canon stuff. Like yeah. literally he has an ability called Shatterpoint in the game, Star Wars Shatterpoint. Like he's the man. He's the man. And I think I'm on now that we have this range of six to nine. I'm very excited about the future of Star Wars Shatterpoint because I feel like it has opened the world to the depths in a big way. And I'm looking forward to if six and nine are like less rare, I want to see what that looks like in the game. And seven and eight are more common, right? I don't know if that's the route they go, but that's what it feels like with the information we have right now. It also gives me a lot of excitement for maybe a Yoda or Palpatine or something in the future, right? Where they would fall on that spectrum. Yeah, for sure. That's exactly the two characters I was thinking about when it comes to how much their point cost might be. And obviously, like, there are different versions of those characters, right? Yeah. So maybe Sidious just taking over the Empire maybe was a seven, but maybe Sidious at the height of the Galactic Empire is a six, right? Ooh, yeah. Yoda would be the inverse. Yoda would be a six in the Republic, and then he'd be like, maybe something different in the Rebellion years. So, yeah, absolutely incredible. Yeah, Let's sure. talk about his stats and tags real quick. He has 11 stamina, a durability of three. He brings you six squad points, like we t- just talked about. He also brings you four force, Amon, which is a big deal. His tags are force user, Galactic Republic, Jedi. Galactic Republic, force user, and Jedi all make sense. I'm happy with 11 stamina. For someone who only allows six points for squad building, three durability also makes sense. This is before he lost the arm. The four force points is pretty... <laughs> I see you laughing yeah. in the back. The four, the four points... Is fair. Yeah, it should be there. I would have liked to see maybe five just because he is six. Agreed. But at the same time, I can see why that could be a little excessive. Game balance, right? Game balance in particular. All right, let's get into his abilities. Let's start with the first ability. It's a tactic rush to action. At the start of Mace's activation, choose another allied Galactic Republic unit. Each character in this unit and the chosen character may dash. So the start of his card, we pull it, he's dashing, and an Allied Galactic Republic's dashing. Yeah, this particular ability is actually more powerful than the average dash that you see. Most Galactic Republic dashes are choose this character or another character or this character and another character. Mesa specifically says a unit, which is more powerful because some units have more than one character in them. So if you pick a supporting unit, then you're getting three dashes, which is Incredible. That is separatist level of maneuverability. 
about to say that's that's sounding very Dooku. Yeah, it's really good, and and I think this opens up Windu. Again, you know, you have to expect really good abilities, right? Like if he's going to have ability, it's probably going to be best in class because of the fact that he is so constricted in terms of list building for his particular team. And so I really like this because it offsets that cost. For sure. His next ability is a reactive ability called Tempered Aggression. When a character in this unit makes an attack, after all attack dice and defense dice have been rolled, Mace may spend any number of force to use this ability. Reroll one failure result in the attack roll for each force spent. Pretty cool. It's a bunch of rerolls. Yeah, you mentioned Dooku earlier. This is almost an inverse of what Dooku can do, right? For sure. Dooku can change the opponent's attack dice, whereas after perfect information, Windu can change his offensive attack dice to be able to hit harder. So really interesting to see like when Dooku and Mace fight each other on the table. <laughs> yeah. But outside of that niche scenario, this is pretty cool because as you're going to see, Mace actually doesn't use too much force. This is actually the only way he can really spend it outside of the general force spending opportunities you have in a game. So I like it. I mean, again, six strike points is not a lot to work with. So he needs to be bringing a lot to be able to justify that number. And so this is probably one of the best rerolls in the game we've seen. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not flashy, but it shouldn't be because you're just basically trying to get your money's worth out of him, right? You have perfect information. So now you can say, oh, if I get one or two more successes, I go down the tree and get to do this and this. Okay, I'm happy to pay for us and try to do that, right? You know, the dicer, you could just roll back and as more fails, but at the same time, you have information at that moment, how much your opponent's blocked, and you can kind of see how you want to proceed, which is a big deal. Also, he's got some cool stuff on his trees, which might be triggered by this. So we can talk about that shortly. Yeah, it's really interesting because if you're looking at this ability as a whole, Galactic Republic are a very force-hungry yeah. play style. So tempered aggression, which actually is it's in the name, you kind of have to temper your aggression when even using this ability, is because it can be very tempting to be able to say, yeah, you know what, if I just spend four force, maybe I can take out this character. But four force or even three force is a lot. and Obviously, it's dictated by the number of fails you roll, so may not necessarily be that high. But again, be smart when using this ability because sure. keep in mind that you have the Galactic Republic agenda to fulfill, and that's a lot of, as we've coined on this podcast, hero point. That's right. It is a big element of this team, like you're saying, Amon, and you know the Republic does struggle with force in a big way, so you got to know what you're doing with this. But I also think this gets further improved with focus and things like that. Like, cause you're, you just have a bigger pool to begin with more knowledge, more information to know what am I doing next with my rerolls? Am I doing them? How many am I doing? And where can I get through my tree if I get more successful results? And we're going to talk about maybe why you want to spend some of this force with the innate ability shatter point. When this unit is chosen to activate with a shatter point card, if it's active stance is form seven Vapad, it immediately makes a focus action and characters in this unit have impact two until the end of the turn. But if you shatter point with Mace and his active stance is Jedi Master, refresh two force, and one character in this unit may recover three times. So fun fact with this ability, Shatterpoint originally did not have the name Shatterpoint. They had a different name, and this was revealed by Shik in one of the panel to plays or an interview or something. When they were thinking about the names that they could name it after LFL had rejected the first name 
someone suggested Shatterpoint. And so one of the designers on the team was like, no, you can't use Shatterpoint because they are a big Mace Windu fan and they wanted to keep Shatterpoint for Windu. And so they told Schick, they were like, hey, if you're going to name a Shatterpoint, that's fine, but don't take away the ability from Windu. And so they honored that request, which I think is a really cool bit of background lore for Shatterpoint itself in terms of the behind the scenes. Absolutely love it. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense, too, because such an iconic ability in Legends and now Canon that he's mastered. And it makes sense with the game, what they've dubbed this game is these Shatterpoint moments in a battle, these branching paths where you choose the right path, you find the weakness of your opponent and you strike and you win the conflict. That's what Mace is doing with the Shatterpoint, right? Like I said, he's kind of slowing down time. He's Neo. He's seeing the bullets. I think this ability, first of all, is incredible. And I'll tell you why the lore is so good too, Amon, because he is seeing the future in a way. And if you set him up right, you saw the future and now you're either about to wound an enemy model with focus and impact to three more dice, or you are refreshing to force and recovering with your team. Because keep in mind, I'm on something I've been learning with my time with Mace. You can make sure you're in Jedi Master at the end of your Mace turn, and then you can shatter point with him, get the benefit of Jedi Master, and then switch to Vapa with a bunch of extra force to maybe now temper aggression, things like that there's sides of the coin on both sides, right? You don't necessarily have to be in full Vapad mode to do Vapad things because you can just swap it on a Shatterpoint turn now, right? There's a lot of nuance to this. No, I completely agree, Jesse. I really like the way that you likened this ability to the idea that not only is Mace Shatterpointing in-game, but <laughs> you're kind of planning that Shatterpoint moment, right? You need to slow the game down. You need to predict the future because if you're able to predict it correctly, you can set up Mace for an amazing Shatterpoint turn. And I like that example you gave where you can still reap the benefits of both stances, right? You know, you can start in Jedi Master, recover, maybe heal Windu in a bad situation, get more force, which then during his turn, after you've gained the benefits of this ability, swap the stances and then do some cool things from there. I really like it. I mean, He's got seven dice that he's swinging on his Form 7 Vapad side, so going up to 10 is pretty solid. Yeah, and a form that hits that hard is a big deal. Yeah, and I really like this ability. I mean, I think it's canonically awesome in the lore, but from a table perspective, like when you're taking a character that's so constrictive in your list building, like a Jedi Master Windu, like a General Anakin, or even like a Vader, right? you want that character to pull their weight on the battlefield. Yes. And what this ability does is it's incentivizing you as the player and saying, from a designer perspective, it's saying, hey, we understand that you know, it might be tricky to build lists with Windu, but if you take him, it's worth it. And here's why. And we're going to incentivize that. And I really, really like that because this gives him so many different opportunities. You want him to be your like killing stroke, take someone out, he can do that. Or if you want him to sustain and refresh force be that battery if you will he can do that too and the parallels between him and dooku are so fascinating to me because they do so many similar things on their cards almost in a weird mirror of each other and i don't know if this is intentional or not but if you look at their friendship in tales of jedi which is a little bit of spoiler territory here like it is almost like frenemy type where it's like you're my boy we've trained together you know, I, I vibe with you, but at the same time, we're both competing for the same position, which is to get on the council, right? Like we both mm. want to be next in line. And so I like that duality that the designers 
whether intentionally or unintentionally have created. And it's really cool. Super cool. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I also think too, Amon, something notable about the Shatterpoint. It's so crazy because I feel like Mace, he requires you to know the future the best you can. He also takes a lot of your resources in the game in the sense of you want a Shatterpoint with him more often than other characters, right? And so already he's kind of stealing the limelight in a cool way, but also it's asking a lot of questions of you as the player, right? Rather than a normal list where you might just say, okay, who's the best person to Shatterpoint with right now? A lot of the time it's like, Mace wants the Shatterpoint card, so he's always in consideration for it. So you've got to ask yourself the question, is now the Mace time? Or did I draw the Shatterpoint too early or vice versa, right? There's a lot of layers to playing him correctly. And we're going to see a little bit more with his tree, how all that works. But I just, I find it so intriguing. And I feel like you're going to try to master the Shatterpoint with Mace. But more importantly, I think Mace offers something we haven't seen in the game quite yet with any character where... I think you're doing more form flipping with Mace than any other character before. Not saying you don't flip forms with characters a lot, because we certainly do it a lot, but I feel like with Mace, you're maybe doing what I did. You're flipping forms multiple times, course of one struggle, right? Through his card, through the Shatterpoint card, and through this kind of ping-ponging I was talking about, where it's like, you can still flip him back to the other form when you're doing the Shatterpoint, right? After you started in the other form and you got the benefit of the initial form, right? So his card is simple in the way of force bending because it's all about managing what form at what time and how often am I flipping back and forth between the two, all in conjunction with Shatterpoint. I agree. Now let's finish off Mates' unit card with his identity, which is quite frankly an incredible one. It's called, and you know we'd have it no other way, this party's over. While a character in this unit is engaged, so if Mace is engaged, allied Galactic Republic characters within range five have steadfast and protection. This is excellent. It's insane. This really helps the clones, who I think at this point in the game are pretty unanimous. They are the weakest supports. There's a huge buff to them. Let's just start there. Let's not even get into the other Jedi yet and stuff, but the clones, much better. Yeah, well, I think we shouldn't bury the lead, Jesse. Like, yes, the clones are great. But so the first time I read this, I was like, wow, this is really strong. (laughs) And then I thought, well, if you pair this with Obi-Wan, this is insane, right? And so while we are focusing on Windu, I think it's fairly self-explanatory, right? Like steadfast, you ignore the first shove and a damage dealing step. And then protection is, you know, you reduce the damage by one whenever you're being dealt damage. So with that out of the way, we can obviously tell how important and powerful that is. But then you add that in conjunction with a character like Obi-Wan, and now everyone's getting additional dice on defense. They're never losing their hunker. They are being able to utilize, you know, additional defense in melee too. And then you start stacking steadfast protection. Oh, by the way, you can spend a hunker token to get a free dash. Mace Windu can do that. And like, it's incredible because it doesn't say other allied galactic republics either, right? right? So he's within five of himself. If he's engaged, steadfast and protection like party may be over for you but it's only just beginning for mr windu yeah mace is in the party you just don't know it yet i think you're playing mace because of this shatterpoint ability and because of his identity right and these things appeal to you let's go you know (laughs) because these are two facets of what make the character what he is absolutely amon but we got to jump into his tree all right so let's start with jedi master so this is his less aggressive 
stance. Yeah. But nonetheless, one that you're probably going to want to start the game in. Six on defense for both melee and ranged. He has zero ranged attack dice, six dice on his attack dice for melee. His lightsaber expertise is pretty solid. One to two is a crit. Three to four, two crits. Five plus three crits. My man only deals crits. My man deals in crits. And what's cool, Amon, we'll just get spoiler pretense out of the way. And Vipad, he has the same expertise on his lightsaber. Yeah, well, this allows him to remain somewhat consistent, right? Because with some games, like, for example, let's say you're playing a game with a big character or a very expensive character, or in this version, someone who's constricting your list building. When they don't perform, it's a little frustrating because you've invested so much time or resource, yeah, or not taken resources because of this character. And so when they flub, it just feels even worse. So I really like how the expertise is all crits because it makes up for those potentially bad rolls, right? You're never really going to have an abysmal turn with Windu, hopefully. Hopefully, for sure. Or at least the chances are significantly less likely than other games or systems. Yeah. Now, if we go to aggressive defense, which is his defensive expertise. That's what this side's about. Yeah, this is what this side's about. One expertise is pretty solid. You're getting a block and you're turning a regular strike to a fail. Two to three, you have one block. You're turning a crit and a strike to a fail. So two different rolls being turned to fail. Mm. And then for four plus, it's the exact same thing. You get one block, turning a crit to a fail, turning a strike to a fail, and you get to jump. It's awesome. Also awesome because he doesn't have jump on his card. We haven't talked about this yet, but he's a little bit less mobile than on some of the other Jedi. And it's cool that he has it on his expertise defensively during your opponent's turn because maybe this jump could set up something on your turn. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the idea would be hopefully over the course of two struggles to activate Windu four times, right? In theory. Yeah. So if you're able to use the jump to set yourself up to, again, like kind of seeing the future, right? Trying to plan and predict what Windu's going to do. I think it's a really cool ability. And I do feel like sometimes they do like throw jump on in some expertises just because like it's a very Jedi Sith force user thing to do. But in this instance, I do think it makes sense. Yeah, it's called aggressive defense. It's not that many blocks, but he's stopping a lot of what you're doing, you know? Yeah. So let's get into his actual tree here. The tree starts off with a shove and two damage, which is amazing. We love seeing shoves on the first tile. And the fact that it's paired with not one, but two damage. Really good. It's pretty incredible. Then we go to a shove and another damage. So if you make it to two successes into the tree, two shoves, three damage. Incredible. Now from here, there's three different paths if we go straight or we'll go down. So let's go straight first. We get an expose and a damage two damage, and then a jump and two damage. So in total, you're doing eight damage, two shoves, and expose and a jump. Pretty good. I like it. That's also eight damage on the guy's defensive side. Mace is coming to play. That's like Ahsoka's best damage. Aggressive defense, man. Yeah, there it is. Now, after the two shoves, you take the bottom path. The most underwhelming tile on this tree is just one damage, right? Which isn't bad. It's just very basic. But if you make it past that, you get a shove and a damage, and then you end with three damage. So it's still eight damage on either route you take, but this route gives you three shoves yep. versus two shoves and exposing a jump. So I think personally, the top one is probably your best bet. But if you're really just trying to shove City someone out, like three shoves is a lot of movement. 
A lot of displacement. Yeah, this, I mean, someone who's slower, that's huge against them. So I like this side a lot, Amon. I think this side is a little bit underrated because I think you got to think about this aggressive defense, six defense on range and melee paired with his, this party's over with protection and steadfast layered on top of this. Now this side's really working defensively. Yeah, not to mention you give him a hunker, right? Sure. Why not? Which is pretty nice. Put him on a higher gantry, get some cover as well. Yeah, there's a lot of things you can do, and and I really like it. And again, I think the benefit here of starting in, obviously, Jedi Master is the better defense dice. You'll see in Vapad, he only has five and five. Additionally, it's a great way to end a turn as well, right? Maybe you start in Vapad, you end in Jedi Master, then you shatter point. You get that force, you get that recovery, you swap back to the pad, which Jesse was alluding to earlier. It's cool. I like it. There's a lot of flipping, but it behooves Mr. Windu. It's a lot of ping-ponging, right, of his stances. And I really do think he's the character you're going to flip stances with the most in the game. And I think it's good design. Completely agree. So let's jump to Form 7 of pod here. So we mentioned earlier 5 and 5 on defense. Yeah. No ranged offensive dice. And this time we go to 7. So one more dice on melee offense. So lightsaber expertise, as Jesse mentioned, absolutely the same. Aggressive defense on this side is a little different. So you're not going to be turning any crits to fails on this side, but that's okay because you're getting more blocks. So it kind of, in theory, pans out a little bit. So one expertise, a block, and you turn a crit to a regular hit or a strike. Two to three expertise is two blocks, turning a crit to a strike. And four plus is two blocks turning a crit to a regular strike, and a reposition. Yeah, it's good. I also like the reposition too, because once again, you're kind of getting around the fact that Mace is slower during his activations, setting up for the next turn to really do a big strike. I agree. It's a good summary of it. And you mentioned earlier, you know, Jedi Master, he's doing a lot of jumping. Form 7 is probably him being the best combat duelist that he can be. And so repositioning in combat is certainly more powerful. And Keep in mind that his identity, you want him to be engaged. And the fact that he's getting this reposition allows him to get a full advance out of the engagement, right? Because he's always going to be engaged in a way, which is kind of exciting. Obviously, you know, if he wounds the person. I think this is a good time for me to talk about a rules interaction, Mon, that I don't think we've really clarified enough on our show yet. But with the expertise trees, we know how expertise works. The Attacker modifies with their expertise first, then the defender modifies with their expertise second in the way of getting more hits, crits, or blocks, right? But there's these personal effects. They call them personal effects in the rulebook. Things like recover, jump, reposition, dash, etc. This happens absolutely last. And I'm not saying last the expertise tree. That's what I thought initially when I played the game. They happen after all tree results have happened, okay? So in this instance, the opponent would go through their tree entirely. You'd resolve all the damage, and then Mace would get to do his reposition. And I think this is absolutely huge on these Force users, and probably a, it's a topic in itself. Out of activation movement, responses, things like that. Very powerful. I think that's a great rules clarification. And you're right, it doesn't really come up a lot. But in this instance, yes, you're absolutely correct. It is a personal effect. I wish I would have harped on it more in our Grievous episode, because he has a reposition on his Warlord side. And like you could push Grievous off a point, he could reposition back to an ingress easily with his larger base and just get right back up the point or something. For instance, with that reposition interaction. And Mace is similar. Absolutely. Mace is similar. I like it. 
So let's go to his damage tree here. So we have two starting points, which is kind of nice. Yeah. You can either deal two damage or you can deal a damage and place the strain condition on the opponent, which is arguably just as good, if not better, in some instances. If you're not going to wound them, this is better. That's true. Now, both of them go to the same second tile, which is three damage. So we're getting into Anakin levels of damage here, <laughs> potentially five or four, depending on where you start. And then from here, there are some options. So we can either go straight or go down. So it's either deal two more damage or give an expose in the damage, right? So if you make it three tiles in, you could really just hit someone for seven, which is pretty nuts. Or again, instead of that two damage and expose the damage, both of them meet at the next tile, which is a disarm and a damage, which I like. I mean, it makes sense here in combat. You're dueling someone, you disarm them. I do feel like disarm is the least seen condition we have in this game in terms of it actually being dealt out, whether through a coordinated fire or through a damaged tree. So I do like seeing it. Makes sense. And then from here, we have two options again. Two damage or a pin and a damage. And then they both end in a reposition and a damage. So the way that you can really look at this is you can go through this whole tree and you can deal every single condition in the game and deal a ton of damage and then get a reposition. Or you can just blow somebody up and then walk away. Absolutely. You can blow anyone up but Vader. At this point in the game, right? Because it's 11 damage if you go the top path. Yep. And hypothetically, if Vader is already disarmed, that is enough. That is enough, which is pretty cool. Because then it would be 12. It's pretty scary, right? In a way, obviously this is like magical, perfect roll land. Might your opponent roll bad on defense, but that could happen with Expose. You just one shot a good chunk of models in the game. right? If not all models, if you have perfect dice, right? Yeah. I'm not a math hammer guy, but let's say you start him and you get the three dice with the impact two. Let's say you roll 10 dice. You're likely to get three to four successes sure. through. And three is all you need because it's seven damage. That's going to get a lot of characters. In theory, right? You're hoping that you've kind of peppered them down with other characters or whatever. Like, is Mace going to one shot every time he swings? No. But is he going to do enough damage to where he could put himself in a position to do that? Absolutely. And given his expertise is all crits, those are unblockable, right? Obviously, you're fighting other Jedi users or Force users, rather, excuse me, then they can turn those crits into hits or failures. But this is why Expose is important. And we're going to talk about that in a second later yeah. because he's got some great allies to help him hit harder. Yeah, and he's got Expose too, right? So you can even go slightly down, like Amon mentioned during this tree, set up an Expose for your next turn when you Shatterpoint, right? To remove that model, right? So there's a lot of options. And yeah, man, this bottom tree, like this bottom path is looking very enticing when you know you can't wound them, right? Because now, as Mon said, it's almost worse. They're completely debilitated. They have strain, exposed, disarm, pinned, maybe. And they're also got pretty hurt with a good chunk of damage, seven damage. So now it's like, they're like, do I go with the character? Do I wait, right? Does Mace come back around with the shatter point and remove them? There's a lot of cool things going on. Absolutely. And I really like the idea of just completely annihilating an opponent's activation. I can't kill you, but I'm just going to give you three to four conditions. Like, dude, like, what are you supposed to do? It's crazy, too, because I don't know what you do. And then on top of that, Mace has clones with him, presumably if you're playing your all Republic list, and they've got coordinated fires that might just ping little bits of damage on top of this, because if you have every condition, right, you're just primed for some 212th or something to shoot you, right? It's very interesting. This side's scary. 
And I'm sure we'll talk more about at the end, Amon, on our character box summary as a whole and how to play this list as a whole. But you've been alluding to these characters that come in this box that are going to give you the six total, which is a lower number, right? Mace was our first six. Now we're getting our first three, which is Commander Pawns. Let's talk about Commander Pawns and lore real quick. So CT411, nicknamed Pawns, was a clone trooper who held a military rank of clone commander in the Clone Wars. Of course, he fought for the Great Army of the Republic. On Geonosis, Pawns arranged for five special commander units to follow Windu's orders during the first battle of the war. In fact, fun lore for you, you know, all of us have seen the movies and, you know, that's the more accessible element of Star Wars. Pawns is in episode two. He is the highest ranking commander on that battlefield at the Battle of Geonosis in episode two. He actually has the yellow markings on the battle, right? He's the one that's directly talking with Mace and Yoda on what to do during that battle, right? And he's leading all the forces of Geonosis during that battle. But later on, Pons, he gets more training and he starts specializing in military reconnaissance. And he becomes the commander of Lightning Squadron, like I mentioned earlier, a unit of advanced recon force scout troopers and the 91st Mobile Reconnaissance Corps. All that's to say he led the ARF troopers, which is awesome. Pons was a huge player in the Battle of Ryloth to help liberate the Twi'lek people. He fought alongside Windu and Lightning Squadron in this battle. And in fact, this is a battle that's not going well. The CIS was also bombing civilians during this battle with their hyena vulture droids. And Pons, Windu, and others found a way to sneak in, join forces with Syndulla that's Hera's father, with their Twi'lek resistance and eventually win the battle through the clones and the people of Ryloth working together and retaking the world. But this is becoming a tenet of pawns we see throughout the Clone Wars, even though he's in the show limited time. He has compassion for people. He has compassion for the Republic itself. He has compassion for worlds that are caught in this war. And it's one of his greatest qualities, duty and compassion. Additionally, Pons was a big part of the Battle of Malastair. You know, it's a crazy kaiju mini episode of Star Wars Clone Wars where him and Windu fight the Zillow Beast, which is this giant creature, kaiju-like creature that comes up from the planet's depths. Sadly, you know, spoilers once again from Clone Wars and stuff, but sadly, Pons is in a battle later in his Star Destroyer Endurance. And this is when little Boba, bounty hunter Boba, disables the ship. And through the help of some other bounty hunters, captures Pons and the other commanding officers because Pons being the same guy he is, he tells everyone to evacuate the cruiser and him and a few other officers just run the ship. And they're trying to bring it down, you know, Captain never bends the ship sort of thing. And Boba, Aura Singh, Bosk, and some other bounty hunters capture Pons and they use him as a hostage for the Republic, basically, to get things they want. I'm not going to go to the whole bounty hunter arc here. I'm sure it'll come up in the future. And they want to get information out of Pons. They want him to grovel. They want him to beg for you know the Jedi Council and the clone army to come save him. And he doesn't. So they assassinate him. Yeah, it's a crazy episode, actually, because all the bounty hunters, they have respect for Django, And so they're saying, like, you know, Boba, like, this is what you need to do. This is how you play oh, the game. Oh, intense, yeah. And then they tell Boba, like, finish him, kill him. And Boba can't do it. Yeah. Looks like dad. So. Also, I'm a kid. Layers. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Holy crap. <laughs> he looks exactly like his dad and what oh, he's going to grow up and look like. God, I didn't even think about that. 
It's good. Oh, oh, no. Wow, Jesse, you just made it so much more. It makes more sense now. Jeez. Mm. So, yeah, looks like my dad can't do it. And Oral's like, boom, that's how you do it. Yeah, ruthless. So, Pons died a hero. He did not give up any information or anything like that. He also, you know, like I said, saved the people of Ryloth. And the Twi'leks, you know, we know are a huge element of the Star Wars universe. And in fact, without Pons, we wouldn't have the Twi'lek resistance, which eventually leads to the Twi'leks being a huge part of the Rebel Alliance. And of course, Cham Syndulla having a daughter named Hera Syndulla. There's a lot of layers here. It's, it's good stuff. But Pons was a hero. He died a hero. And I did mention he specialized in recon. Him and his guys were the forward troops. They would arrive, get a lay of the land, plan the battle, and report back to the clone commanders and Jedi all the information they had, right? They are the true scouts. And he's really good at it. And it's pretty as simple as that. It's hard because like there's so many clones. And so yeah. I love how they do try to give at least some of the commanders an identity. And they do a good job in the Clone Wars show of giving certain troopers identity as well, like heavy and things like that. But Bonds is cool. I mean, it's really interesting because he was like one of the OG clones who, you know, well into phase two lasted quite some time. But unfortunately, he was at the wrong place, wrong time. But he focused on his duty and he took care of the men under his command. As you mentioned, he was compassionate. And unfortunately, you know, four bounty hunters coming through. It's a tall task for anybody, really. That's true. Especially someone as like notorious as Aura Singh at that time, right? So yeah, it is what it is. It's wild. We need to talk about Commander Pons, though, in Star Wars Shatterpoint. Yeah, he's three points. He's got Stamina of seven, durability of two, clone commando, clone trooper, galactic public tags. There's that clone commando tag again. It's cool. That original core of like clone commandos, like Rex, Cody, Pons now. What what are they doing, Amon? I'm curious. (laughs) I'm curious too, but it's interesting because a little bit of a peek into the future here, but he has phase two clone armor as his defensive expertise, but he's wearing phase one helmet. Yeah, that was a weird, that was a weird thing they did. Yeah. So not really sure if that was a typo or... Maybe he's just wearing his old helmet, but the he, armor he is the upgraded. Stuff, yeah, for sure. Creature of habit, per se. Not like Rex, who like fused the stuff to the old stuff. But as we can see here, seven is low for a secondary. Mm-hmm. But again, he's three points, right? So he can't have it all. Tactics ability called charge. At the start of this unit's activation, choose another allied galactic with the character. The chosen unit may dash. Again, this just highlights how strong Windows is, right? Windu can dash up to three people when he activates. Pons is only dashing one. Yeah, and also kind of puts Pons in direct correlation with Rex. And it's just not as good. It's just not as good. You know, it's pretty simple to say. Yeah. Makes sense because balance purposes, he is our first three costs in the game. Not much more to say than that. It's good. I mean, you're going to do it, right? I don't think you're going to shatter point with Pons like you would Rex, maybe. Let's say it that way. You know, he's no Kalani or Rex. That's for sure. Sometimes you're shatter point with those characters just to get more momentum, get more characters moving up the board, right? Pawns, it's fine. It's solid. I'm happy he has it. But we're about to see him on, that's all he has. And it's another Allied Galactic Republic character. He doesn't have anything for himself. Yeah, and this kind of makes sense. I mean, he is, for lack of a better term, right? Like you mentioned, he's a reconnaissance guy. He's recon. So a lot of his identity in terms of who he is on the battlefield and in the Star Wars universe is someone who's helping other units and other characters be aware of enemy threats and positions and to act accordingly. So I do think it's very thematic and it's a very clever use of 
creating weaker abilities for a cheaper unit. Absolutely agree. And continuing with his abilities, he only has two more. Keeping it real simple, he has an innate ability called incoming. Allied clone trooper units within three that have one or more hunker have immunity to expose. This is cool. Yeah, this is the first instance where you see a character providing immunity in a bubble, which I think is really cool. And yes, you have to have that stipulation of having a hunker token, which again makes this Obi-Wan synergy so much stronger, general Obi-Wan. But moving away from him, immunity exposed is really good. For sure. It's also really cool with Cody and 212 because Cody's given the rerolls, Pons is given the immunity to expose. Like there's just like little bubbles going on, you know, that are just neat. I agree. And like think about it this way, like this can be very matchup dependent in terms of how strong it is. Like you're playing against maybe someone with Maul, then you know, it lowers the efficacy of there's nowhere to run. Then with Enfeeble. Well, Enfeeble is another great one, yeah, for sure. And then thinking about some of the other characters like Dathomirans, right? Like their coordinated fire is exposed. You shut that off. Arf Troopers. The mirror match is really interesting too because Arf Troopers, right? Which we have yet to talk about. So I think it's really exciting. And I think there are going to be certain matchups where like if you can predict what the enemy is doing, this really weakens their game plan. For sure. I also like that it has the restriction of clones only just thematically and also probably balance reasons. (laughs) But they've got to be clones in his bubble to get this immunity. Yeah, and so it's not going to really be the whole board, but maybe he can hold down a side of the board, right? Because all you need is one character be within three. That's the best part, right? So let's elaborate on that, Amon. So it says units, not character. Yeah, so a character is part of a unit. A unit can have multiple characters. So as long as one character is within three, because that clone is part of the unit, they gain that immunity. I love the lore of like Pawn's told some troopers in that battalion what's about to come in the battle you know like the tanks are coming on the ridge you know and it applies to all of them it applies to all of them which is pretty cool the last innate ability here is forward scout and i dare say perhaps the most interesting ability perhaps in this box when deploying a squad that includes commander ponds allied clone troopers secondary characters and allied clone troopers supporting characters may be placed within range two of the first place character from the squad's primary unit instead of the normal one. So, for example, let's say you're placing Windu. In most instances, like every other deployment you would make, you place your primary within range two of the board edge, and then all your supporting and secondary characters are within range one of that primary unit. But because of Commander Pond's special ability, you can place them within two of Windu, which is actually huge. It's insane, actually, because... A lot of time what I've noticed is people, so most people know this, but when you set up a Shatterpoint, you can always set up to where you can get all three objectives closest to you, like being within range two of them so that if one of them goes active, you can control that fairly easily. The bottom line of the grid. Exactly. But a lot of players, especially new players, mess that up or they don't realize that they can do that. I don't know if you can do it where you can just put maybe window in the middle and then kind of yeet them to where maybe both characters on each side, but you can certainly grab two of them. And I think it's very impressive because it allows you to set up to more midline grabs. But then also, again, because clones are genuinely very fragile, it allows you to maybe spend more time hunkering, right? Maybe you don't have to, you know, defensive maneuver and then advance. Maybe you just need to advance and hunker, right? Or maybe you can hunker and shoot. Like there's just so much added range 
It's incredible. It also like primes you for ingress points in a much more powerful way, Cause, especially mm-hmm. with clones with defensive maneuver. Because sometimes you're just like, a defensive maneuver is not enough to get to an ingress point, but an advance is. Well, now you can just defensive maneuver those ingress points, right? In, in theory, right? So there's a lot of layers to it. Even as Amon said, in, in like a perfect world, you're so far forward that all you have to do is like maybe defensive maneuver, then advance, then hunker. Like there's a lot of layers where you can get on the midline with this team because they do have the advanced recon knowledge, which I find very cool. But that's the first card, Amon. Yeah. Very simple. Very simple. And his stance card is also quite simple as well. He's got a range five gun at six offensive dice, five defense, and his melee stats are five and five. His defensive expertise is, again, oddly named phase two clone armor, one to two, one block, three plus two blocks. That's just clone, man. So it's nothing really home to write about. Now, his DC 17 blaster pistols are his melee expertise, one to three, a crit and a hit, four plus two crits. Low floor, which I like, high ceiling, which I guess you don't really count on it. A crit and a hit is solid. DC 15 S blaster rifle. I'm assuming that means sniper. Yep. One to three, two hits, four plus two crits. So clearly better at melee in terms of the expertise, but six dice with, again, a low floor of two hits isn't bad, right? No, it's not bad at all. Especially because his tree at max is four. I wish AMG gave us his sniper rifle to put on his back. It's my only complaint with the mini now at this point, because clearly he's using the long range rifle when he's shooting and he's using the pistols in close combat like those arc troopers do. So this is what you do. Because you're probably never going to play Cody. You just take the <laughs> horrible. You just take you just take the gun and you just shave that his arm a off. And put it on his DC back. fifteen, absolutely. So yeah, maybe mod up a Cody gun. Or you could do like a mold at home. Sure. Yeah. Or just like if you have some clone bits, you know, throw it on there. But it's a fine tree. I mean, once again, I think this is the clone commando thing, that original batch. Slightly better in melee than a lot of the other clones, especially the sports, right? Rex is really good in melee. We saw this. He's the best. Let's just get that out of the way. But the tree itself is called Superior Recon. Yep. So let's talk about the tiles on the tree. So we start with two damage. At that point, we can either go straight ahead or we can take the bottom path. If we go straight ahead, having a shove on the second tile is pretty nice. It's shoving two damage. That's four damage. Then we get a disarm. Yeah, that's four damage too. And I like that. Then there's a disarm and a damage and then two more damage. So actually... Despite the fact that he's only a three-pointer, he is dealing seven damage on just four tiles. Not bad, Mr. Pons. Not bad. And I like that this box has this theme of disarm in the tree because you disarm him with maybe Pons first, and then you get that full 12 damage with Windu. It's a lot. It's a lot. If you take the bottom path, it's two damage, a reposition and a damage, a pin and a damage, and two more damage. So you're only going to be doing Six damage that way, which is still pretty solid, but that's the more, I guess, recon-y style. Yeah, it's helping you get places and score, right? Because he's not very good at moving around because I don't think we brought attention to it, but he has no defensive maneuver, unlike every clone thus far. So he's just going to advance Amon on his turn. That's it. So this reposition is going to help you out. I like the fact that he doesn't have defensive maneuver because A, from a design perspective, it makes sense, but also like he isn't defensive. He's out there foraging, leading the way on recon, right? So I like the fact that it's in theme. No, absolutely. It's just wild to see because we're six clones in now. and He's the first one without defensive maneuver. 
No, it's a good shout, certainly. So talking about how we play Pons as a whole, it's really interesting because he's got this dual nature, right, where he allows some cool maybe turn one setups where you can take advantage of maybe what the active objectives end up looking like. In fact, maybe it gives you a little bit more advantage, like maybe it's a crutch that you can use. It helps you overcome mistakes in deployment because that two is enough to where maybe you can still get to that midline, even though maybe you deployed slightly too off to the left or too off to the right, so on and so forth. I agree. It also gives you more flexibility with different terrain setups, right? Absolutely. That is true. Now, in addition to that, I mentioned this duality, right? Like he has this idea where you kind of want him to be near other troops because of that exposed immunity, but it's only range three. So to me, I look at it as it's a nice to have, like if you try to plan for it, great. But I wouldn't try to make my entire gameplay around this. It just doesn't really make sense, right? The fact of the matter is he is a great supporting piece. You don't want to get him too close to the opponent, but you know maybe you keep him range five. Even if he's not providing that incoming bubble to anyone else, he's still dealing six to seven damage. It's pretty solid. It's not bad. He's a good model for sure, Amon. I think he's a little understated in what you read on the card, but when you play him on the table, you learn about what he can do. And a lot of it is the times incoming matters and Ford Scout being strong every game. So I think we're going to see a lot of puns, not only because he's going to be glued to Mace, quite literally, to even play Mace, but he is our first three cost and he does open a couple avenues in the game that didn't exist thus far for other lists, namely the Inquisitorious list, which we talked about recently. We now, with the addition of Commander Pawns, due to the point costs, you can run every Inquisitor in a Vader Grand Inquisitor list. That is true. We mentioned that on a previous episode. Yep. Pawns does enable the full Inquisitorious strategy. Is it good? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty solid, actually. I like the fact that he enables the strategy and he allows players the ability to do what they want, especially because you can paint him as Coruscant Guard. Fits in perfectly. Yeah, and he also gives you more access to more instances of Inquisitorial Mandate, which you can't have without him, right? Like, the just, I win more ties with more models. That's interesting to explore, and I want to see people do more of that. Maybe they will. Paint him as a Coruscant Guard, paint him as a Purge Trooper whatever into this dark side look for him i dig it let's move on i'm on to the advanced recon force as the arf troopers also known as arfs also known as atrt drivers sometimes they were clones who wore lighter armor for stealth and speed they frequently wielded rpc rocket launchers and dc-15 blaster rifles so long-range weapons they're more trained more intelligent and more ready for survival scenarios and recon scenarios than other clones Interestingly enough, ARFs wore Phase 1 ARF armor. Eventually, their armor was upgraded slightly to kind of a Phase 2 version, but they've always kind of had this unique Scout Trooper-type armor. When I say Scout Trooper-type armor, because you know we know the Scout Troopers from the Empire later, but it's a visor to give them a quite literal hat bill to keep the sun out of their eyes, and also they have unique tech and their helmets that other clones don't have in the way of night vision and other things like that because they are frequently the recon guys they go into the battle first they get a lay of the land they also drive the atrts i mentioned atrts are basically just light walkers that the clone army used very small like miniature versions of the atsts in a way they're just they're a good use of quick travel and 
they were a great vehicle for this group because they could get a lay of the land quickly without, you know, running around everywhere, right? Of course, Commander Pons led Lightning Squadron, a pretty famous ARF group, but also there was ARF troopers and other battalions, Amon. Most notably, General Obi-Wan and Cody's squad, the 212th, had their own ARF recon group, and some other groups within the clone army had ARFs as well. So it's like, these guys jumped around, you know, because they're specialists, you know? It's not like they were just like the ARF battalion, the lightning squad. They needed to go where they needed to go, help people get the information they needed on battles. And once again, just like pawns, these guys reported directly to the clone commanders and the Jedi generals on the battlefield and gave them all the information they could give them to help them win the battle. Pretty simple, but they're cool. Pretty simple and cool. The miniatures that came with this box they don't have like that cloth thing that hangs from the helmet. Yeah, they're definitely the phase ones, not the phase twos, right? Yeah, the phase twos, they look great. I really wanted to kind of go for a Kashyyyk theme for my ARF troopers, but that part of the war is later in the Clone Wars. But that being said, who's not to say that maybe there were still some phase one wearing clones? Oh, for out sure. There. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, you could paint some of these as one of the other squads, right? The markings if you want to, right? I might do that with 212 markings on these RFs, you know, time will tell. I have high hopes, Amon, that we will get the 41st, the Kashyyyk contingent under Luminara and Yoda. I want that. Dude, that would be so sick. Clone Commander Gree actually, in his Phase 3 armor, has some ARF elements in his Phase 2 armor. Clone Commander Gree have, of course, it's more the recon stuff, like the visor, where he's got the night vision, all the stuff like that, right? But there's elements of his gear as well that's inspired from some of those. So we know as the wars goes on, all the clones get more personal with their gear. I mean, Rex is a great example of this, but yeah, the ARFs are cool. They do their job on the battlefield and they do it well. So let's jump into them in Star Wars Shatterpoint. They are another three cost unit. They have a stamina of seven and a durability of two. They have a couple tags, ARF, Clone Trooper, Galactic Republic, Trooper. Tags make sense. Cost makes sense. I think they might be actually undercosted because, you know, spoiler alert, but I think they're probably either the best supporting clone unit in the game or tied for the best or in close competition. But the seven and two is fair. <laughs> you know, clones don't necessarily have a lot of clone stamina. Life. Seven health. That's right. So going through their abilities, they have defensive maneuver. We all know what that does in case this is your first listen to hello there. Cost of force, it's an active ability. Each character can dash. If any characters do dash, they get a hunker. You have to dash to get the hunker. That is correct. It sounds simple, but it's true. We kind of harped on it in greater detail in our clone commando episode with the scale interactions. That is correct. Now, like all the other clones out there, well, most of them anyways, they have coordinated fire as a reactive ability. So when an other Galactic Republic unit makes an attack, before dice are rolled, if this unit, so at least one character, is within five of the attacking character, the target of the attack gains expose. This is awesome because this is the first time that we've seen the expose condition dropped on a coordinated fire. We've seen strain, we've seen pinned. I really like this. I love expose. Jesse loves expose. We've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast, the efficacy and power of it. Combine this with Pawns making an attack, dealing six to seven damage at range, very powerful. Combine this with Windu, with Anakin, with Vader, 
with general Crazy. Obi-Wan, with Ahsoka, it ramps pretty well. And, you know, a lot of the big targets that you're going to want to put Expose on have great defensive expertise. Jedi love their defensive yeah. expertise. You take that away from them, they crumple. Irony in the mirror. Mace hates Expose. Yes. Absolutely, right? So Expose is incredible because also keep in mind, we haven't rang this home enough for you. This is before dice are rolled, like Amon mentioned. So this expose is happening, this attack right now, you know, and things are going through no matter what. So it's a great way to get those early exposes in and get damage in early in the game. It will cost a force when these guys get wounded or two force later if they get wounded even more. But man, early game, this is so strong. But continuing with our clone theme, Amon, we're going to see some more reoccurring abilities. They have an innate ability called Brothers in Arms. All this unit has one or more hunker. Characters in this unit have steadfast. So it's a normal clone thing. Not getting shoved, not getting pushed by the first shove is incredible. And it's very, very good because clones love Hunker. And in fact, they kind of need it to survive. Agreed. Surprised they have it, to be honest. I mean, you know, I know it's like a clone thing, but I figured they were, well, I guess it makes sense, right? Like they're out and about, highly trained, out in the wilderness. They're highly trained. They, they know the what they're doing. T visor vision. They know what to do. They know. Well, speaking of being out in cover, their last and final ability is an innate ability called Lay Low. When a character in this unit rolls defensive dice during a ranged attack, if this character has one or more hunker, add an expertise to the roll. You know what? This is probably the ability I'm thinking they probably didn't need it. It's too good. It's just a little bit of guaranteed defense every time, which is great. Their defensive expertise, it's still bad. It's still the clone defensive expertise, but I'm on. This is like an additional dice that's not present with your dice, and I love that. It's cool, and I think it helps their survivability quite a bit. Okay, well said. Let's get into this form, Recon Force. We'll start with the range. Of course, they have a range attack of five, a strength of seven on that range attack, and defense of four on their melee. It's five attack and defense of four. So clone stuff so it's hard not to compare to the the 501st right and so the 501st are the only other three costs supporting galactic republic unit they do not have Lalo. they only have defensive maneuver and coordinated Mm -hmm. fire and their defense is 5-4 so they do have a little bit of better range defense but i mean it's just clone defense right we've talked about this 4-4 it's nothing to write home about no and this is our worst clone defense yet. But then we have the lay low, which kind of breaks it up. It yeah, tweaks so it. It's kind of, it's it's tough to assess. It is. But, you know, let's talk about that. So the expertise, phase two clone armor, one to two, one block, three plus two block. Standard clone stuff. But again, as long as you have hunker, right, and don't lose it, or are playing with Obi-Wan Kenobi, you are always getting one block. Guaranteed. That's pretty good. Also, I just remembered the two twelve have three on melee so these guys actually have better melee than the 212 it's insane going to their melee expertise of bash one expertise is strike two plus two strikes i mean they're not designed for melee that's again better than some of the other clones wild (laughs) their ranged expertise is the dc 15 assault blaster rifle one to two strike three crit strike four plus two crits high ceiling but not bad no, it's not bad. It's kind of like two twelfth stuff, but without the auto damage. It's cool. It is cool. But it's still like, well, it's fine, right? 
I mean, it's it's like a meme at this point. They're clones. Yeah. All right. Stance is here. The maximum you can go is four. There is an option for you to go three. Similar to their 212th brethren. They're doing a lot of pin stuff. So pin and damage off the jump. Then we go to a shove and a damage. And then from here, you can end the tree at three with a disarm and a damage. Or you can continue on up to the third and fourth tile on the top tree, which is an expose and a damage and two damage. So at the three tile track, you're doing three damage, a pin, a disarm, and a shove. Or you take the four tile track, which is five damage, a shove, a pin, and expose. So really, it's pick your additional condition in addition to mm-hmm. pin, and then maybe throw some damage on top. I will say, now that we have the information in front of us, they do do the least amount of damage of all the clones on their tree. So there is some balance there. It's relative, because the expose yes. allows their contribution to damage to be much higher. To the team as a whole, correct. But you're right in that technically. Like the least amount of damage of any clones. Fine, <laughs> fair. As they should. Thank goodness. As they should. So let's talk about them as a whole, right? So I mentioned this earlier. I think they're arguably the best clone unit. I mean, you compare them to the 501st, they completely outclass them in every single way. 501st just has a little bit more range defense and a little bit more damage on their tree. And to be fair, like you're not playing clones to deal damage. You're playing clones so that you can play Jedi. Correct. And hopefully the clones score you some points. Exactly. And it's also the Galactic Republic tag. So it's really interesting because I've never felt like a unit has come out and completely invalidated a unit prior to it. You could argue that with maybe the commandos and the 212th, but I still do think both of those units have their different place here. When it comes to the ARF troopers and the 501st, there is no reason you ever take the 501st unless you're already using the ARF troopers in the same list. Uh, That would be like a Anakin Obi-Wan list. Yeah, like if you're running Anakin and Windu in your Mm -hmm. showdown list or your premiere list, fine. You can do that. They're good. Come on. They're good. They're the best. They're arguably better than commandos. That's tough. Arguably. Arguably. On a board with not enough terrain? Yeah, for sure. Right. Because now we're running into like, they got clear lines of sight. They give them exposed. They don't care about scale. You know, there's a lot of elements there. But six health with protection is still better than seven health. It just is. Sure. But with Mace Windu's ability, right? Like it kind of invalidates some of that protection the commandos are getting. Yeah. If you're playing Mace right, you're sending your bubbles right. These guys are just crazy. They're really good. And so the way that you want to play these guys is very similar to the way you want to play other clones. Get on cover, hunker up, get on some active objectives, and have good bubbles, range five bubbles of coordinated fire. The trick with these guys is maybe you want to be a little bit more aggressive with them. And this is because Mace, Anakin, Vader, they love this exposed. So that would be the only thing is I think like high skill players who utilize the ARF clone troopers correctly will thread the needle and find those ways and those gaps where they can be aggressive, but then also not overcommit. But aside from that, they play very similarly to all other clone stuff, pretty much. Well said. Well, Mom, we got to close up this episode like we always do. How are we going to play this box as a whole? And I think we've kind of really covered it throughout the episode because all the pieces work so well together. They really do. So, In the earlier episodes when we do this, we would kind of find a common theme. 
the common theme here is that they can all disarm, which I think is really cool. It's not common. And additionally, they all provide some sort of bubble, right? So if you're within range five of a Windu who's in combat, you get protection steadfast. If you're within range three of pawns, immune to expose. If you're within range five of the ARV troopers, you're exposing somebody. Pretty cool. So what I really like about this box is it's really forcing the player to be really aware of their surroundings, of their unit surroundings, of their placement. So high quality placement will yield higher results. And that's for any force, but more so in this particular box. For sure. And I think also this box as a whole, you talked about positioning, the power of positioning and the power of these bubbles. On top of that, this box is all about enabling Windu to do what he does and do it well and do it consistently. And if you can do that, well, that's what you want to do with this box. It's pretty simple. You're cooking with gas because there all the pieces are lining up. Mace is shatterpointing at the correct times. He's always engaged with the enemy, giving you that bubble. And then pawns and the arfs are giving you all the support that they provide. That's enough within the self-contained group of Mace's team. And now you add another Galactic Republic team in addition to that, working in tandem, right? And you're getting other benefits, presumably, from that primary, that secondary, and those supports. Absolutely. And I like what you said earlier about how both of these secondary and supporting units are designed to assist Mace. It's true. I mean, I think AMD does a good job of packaging the units in boxes and emphasizing their synergies. But what I particularly like about this box is, again, the disarms, right? It helps Windu, if he really needs to, get to that 12th damage. But also, it's making him hit harder. You get to put your deployment at range two for your other units, right? So this allows you to set your clones up to better set them up to help Windu. It's so nice. And then it allows you to not have to worry too much about the clone troopers and the pawns. And instead, focus on maximizing your character of Windu, who is going to be your shadow point target, who is going to do all these cool things. I really like it. Some tips would be don't overcommit the clones. Don't overcommit Windu. It can be very tempting to yeet Windu up the board. He should win most one-on-ones. But, you know, I mean, I think, honestly, you want to play smart. And again, I keep going back to positioning because overcommitting with any unit in this particular box will spell disaster. Mm, for sure. For I think adding on to that point, Amon, I think you said it so well with Mace's positioning. I think at first glance, you see this box and you're like, oh my gosh, Mace hits like a truck. He can remove any character in the game pretty much, especially struggle two onward where everyone's kind of teed up and hurt or wounded or X amount of damage on them. And you, your mind starts racing. You start thinking of Anakin, Vader, Maul, these type of characters that are really good at doing that. The difference between Mace and those characters in particular is a lot of those characters, even Anakin, like they do want to go off by themselves, remove something when that side score that point, right? Mace, he's an he's an anchor for your list because of this identity. If you look at his tree, you say, Oh my goodness, look at all this damage. He can remove things. Yes, but he's actually more about his identity, I've come to find, than anything Vapad can do in an awesome way. This identity is so synergistic with the Republic as a whole that that is more important than doing the Vader thing where I'm like, I'm going to move, I'm going to charge, I'm going to remove something like, yeah, Mace can do that, but you're probably playing him too wrong. And like you said, if you send him heavy into your enemy lines, the rest of your team is going to suffer. So you got to watch, you've got to use some tempered aggression to know when to do what. 
Absolutely. Now, Jesse, you've played Windu more than I have. I've played a lot at this point. Yeah, I'm trying to. And you have won, I think, all your games with Windu so far. So far? Yeah. Okay. So what are maybe some lessons that you've learned? I mean, I feel like we've kind of probably covered some of them, but if there's maybe one or two things you can impart to the listener on like how to effectively pilot Windu or what are some things you can watch out for, or maybe even educating the listeners on how to take down Windu. Like what are some okay. of your thoughts? A lot of good questions. So I think the first part of that, he's the anchor, like he's the centerpiece of your list. He's making everyone stronger, safer, more consistent, right? That's your first tenet of his play. So what does that lead to? Playing him on the middle of the board a lot, like literally the middle of the map where a lot of the action happens. Always making sure when you do your repositions, your defensive maneuvers, your jumps with other characters like Padawan Snips, things like that. Always make sure they end up inside his bubble. That's always just one range stick away from checking that. Why not do it every time? So that's the first tenet of his play is the identity. I think the second tenet of his play is mastering the ping-ponging of his forms in conjunction with Shatterpoint, which is so hard to do, and I'm still figuring it out myself. But I frequently said in this episode, and I'll continue to say, I think you flip his cards multiple times throughout the game, not only multiple times, but I mean, multiple times in a struggle, right? Because that's how you get efficacy out of the Shatterpoint, but also out of his play style. So don't be afraid to do that and experiment with that. I think a lot of people are probably going to get really lured to the dark side of sticking to Vapad all the time, right? And that's just frankly not the way to go because he gets so many benefits of being flexible, jumping back and forth between his forms frequently. So that's the second part is kind of learning how to know when to flip between his forms. And then I think the third part of playing him before we get into some of his weaknesses maybe or how to deal with him, don't be afraid to play objective with him either. Sometimes you just need to rush to action, move, hunker, do some combination of that to reset up the bubble that got messed up and to score a side point or something, right? And reestablish a new bubble because, you know, if you win that first struggle with Mace, it feels great, right? But now your opponent's picked an advantageous deployment of the scoring for struggle two. And now you kind of have to pack up shop, load up the trailer, and kind of move everyone with you up the map. It's very thematic of Mace too, right? And to the Jedi in general, right? It's like, okay, the battle shifted over here. Well, now we might do some repositioning for a bit and not fighting, you know? So I think knowing how to keep all those balanced is going to be the true Mace masters out there, right? Now, how do you deal with Mace? That's a great question. I think you certainly don't let him stack defensive bonuses on top of this Jedi master side, right? Because it really starts coming alive. So anyway, we can remove his hunkers, expose him, pepper him with conditions. I think these are all things that really mess him up. And also, I think conditions are a great foil to him because you can notice as the opponent, oh, he ended in Vapad when he's going to shatter point with him later. I could like push him off the gantry, give him strained, you know what I mean? Give him pin, things like that. And now when Mace wakes up, he's hurting. He's going to get that rush to action. He's not going to get to do it because he's going to be pinned or strained or something, right? Or he does it and he takes the damage. He's slower. There's a lot of things like that. So I think in similar dealing with like maybe Dooku, similar approach, you either avoid him, don't fight him one-on-one, or you hinder him where he can't do the things he wants to do, right? And then when you're ready to pull the plug and go all in, you expose him and just put all the damage on him you can, right? If you really want to deal with him. But there's no perfect answer with these 
primaries like Mace, Dooku, and Vader in particular, where the clapback is so powerful, right? But I also find it very interesting too, Amon, that Mace is less impacted by the wound tokens. I mean, tempered aggression costing more, that's tough, I guess, but he's not doing anything super important. Like Obi-Wan always wants to hello there, right? Like Lumi always wants to full heal when she can, right? Like there's a lot of tenets of other Jedi that he just doesn't have. He's more about the identity. So I feel like when you wound him too, the identity is still there. I don't know. It's tough to deal with him. First of all, I really appreciate those insights, Jesse. And I think anyone who ends up playing you will probably maybe appreciate some of that as well. And you'll probably have a little Mace Windu Anakin moment where it's like, if what you've told me is true, you will have gained my trust. (laughs) Well said, yeah. (laughs) Now, jokes aside, we talk about how we think the Jedi, when fighting against them, hate being exposed. But I think with Windu, I think he hates being disarmed. For sure. That too is rough for him. Irony, the mirror again. The mirror that gives him exposed and disarm. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I mean, obviously, in order to shut down any character in this game, you really want to pepper them with conditions and penalties. He's slow, too. Keep that in mind. He doesn't have jump. Yeah, again, like maybe the 212th, right? Maybe they're more of that niche pick here where if you're predicting, in addition to Separatist, maybe a Windu, just slapping him with pin over and over and over again. Like he does get that free dash at the beginning of his turn. But without that dash, he's super slow. What's cool about the 212 is they have pinned on their first part of the tree, right? But then it's quickly followed by a shove. And then they also have pinned as their coordinated fire. So it's like you can re-put the pin back on on other characters' turns, right? It's rough for him. I love how we continually try to find uses for the 212, despite the fact that commandos and ARC troopers will probably dominate most Republic lists here. But auto damage is good. The 212 do have that. That is fair. I think that's probably going to cover it, though, for the summary of the box. That's it. Yeah, it's a fun box. If you're a public player, you probably should pick it up. Even if you're not a Mace fan, I'm sure Amon's going to say pawns and arfs are opening up more avenues for you, presumably now and in the future for Republic. Yeah, particularly, it allows you to take stronger supporting units for Anakin and Vader. Well said. Yeah. Rex is pretty good with these arf troopers. He loves it. All right, then. Well, Let's close out this episode, Jesse. Hello There is supported by our wonderful patrons. You can become a Hello There patron by going to patreon.com slash hellotherecast. You can also find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch at hellotherecast. You can email us at hellotherecast at gmail.com and leave us reviews on Spotify and Apple Podcasts when you can. As I'm sure Jesse will say, it really helps us out and helps us get into the ears of other Star Wars enthusiasts and table wargaming enthusiasts, specifically those who are perhaps interested in Shatterpoint. Yeah, I think we have a lot of new communities arriving to this game and trying to make it our job to steward them in in the most positive and welcoming way. And a big way to do that is like spread the word of like our communities where people can get plugged in, figure out how to learn how to play the game better, things like that. And it's awesome because I think Shatterpoint's getting not only all the players from several star wars miniature systems over the years but we're getting all sorts of players from other game systems that have never played like for instance an amg game right so it's like yeah obviously we've got the mcp players and stuff like that but we're getting all sorts of new players all the time on and i absolutely love it completely agree very excited very hopeful to see where this game and this community grows 100 percent. of course we got to thank low feel for our show's music it is awesome 
And you can find me and Amon several spaces online. You can find me, Jesse, on Twitter, Instagram, Longshanks, and Discord, all at the same place. That's Jesse Aiken. That's J-S-S-E-E-A-K-I-N. And check out my Marvel Crisis Protocol show, Fury's Finest, about everything Marvel Crisis Protocol and the Marvel Universe. Amon, where can everyone find you? You can follow me on all social media at A Man Who Games. And on Longshanks, you can just type in Amon. I'm the only one because I have shatter pointed the rest of them out of existence. And I didn't use Vapod 7 because I didn't need to because I'm a Jedi Master. Sith Lord over here. Well, depending on your point of view. That's it. Well, it's fun. We're going to close out this episode with one of Mace Windu's most iconic lines. Perhaps. One of the last things he ever said. In the name of the Galactic Senate of the Republic, you're under arrest, Chancellor. Well said. May the Force be with you. So uncivilized.